This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. How do you prepare for a coup? Last week, after German police raided the homes of dozens of alleged right-wing conspiracy theorists, we got one answer to that question. We begin in Germany a major arrests in an alleged plot to overthrow the government. Police the people who got arrested seem to be preparing for their coup by gathering a trove of guns, ammunition, tasers, and crossbows. They even had a government in waiting, a whole cabinet ready to take office on a moment's notice. The raids targeted 52 people suspected of plotting a violent coup against the government that was to include targeted killings of politicians and senior public servants. The group behind this plot, they're known as the Reichsburger. Literally translated citizens of the Reich. They want to undermine the modern German state. They want to overthrow the government and they want to found a state based on the German Empire or Reich from 1871. Now this is a very fringe... Josh Keating has been following the Reichsburger movement for a couple years now. He writes for Grid. He says when he started reporting on this group, he really wasn't sure how serious they were. You know, one kind of German analyst I talked to, he said, you know, if you had called me a few months ago, I would have said, this is a joke. This is just some like small little fringe group. This isn't something that uh, we have to take too seriously. But it, it was really the pandemic and COVID lockdowns that sort of turbocharged all this stuff. For the Reichsburger, the stuff that the pandemic stirred up was an existential crisis. They believe Germany's current government is an artificial construct and that explains why they wanted to install a member of a bygone royal family as their leader instead. It's not entirely clear from the media reporting or from what Germans authorities have said how close they were to actually putting this in practice uh, to actually, you know, carrying out this plot. But, you know, they, they, I don't think we should dismiss it either. I mean, among the people who were arrested was a, a Berlin judge and former member of parliament from the um, Alternative for Germany party, which is sort of far right uh, party in Germany. So, you know, this is somebody who's very much in power in Germany. There were uh, current and former members of the military. Yeah, I was struck not just by the fact that people in power seem to be involved in this plot, but that normal everyday Germans also seem to be involved. How did people like this get sucked in? 
Yeah, so I mean, the German Domestic Intelligence Agency estimated a few years ago that there are about 23,000 Reichsburgers in the country. So these are the people who subscribe to the idea that the modern German state's a fiction. They do things like, you know, printing up their own passports. They refuse to pay taxes, stuff like that. Uh, they usually hold, you know, sort of far right, uh, very anti-Semitic beliefs as well. Um, so, you know, that that's a kind of fringe movement. But what this is sort of combining with is, you know, in the pandemic, there were a lot of people who were kind of radicalized by, you know, lockdowns, vaccines, uh, things like that. And then QAnon. I think of QAnon as like an American thing. You would think so, but it's it's set up franchises in Europe as well. Today on the show, how an American conspiracy theory is now shaping right-wing ideology abroad. I'm Mary Harris. You're listening to What Next. Stick around. This episode is brought to you by Discover. When it comes to your finances, Discover wants you to know they are the credit card that is always there for you. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, that means no more waiting for, quote, normal business hours just to get a hold of someone. We are talking real service from real people whenever you need it. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Hi, this is Dahlia Lithwick, host of Slate's legal podcast, Amicus. If you're listening to this show, you might be interested in Amicus's live show that we're hosting in Washington, D.C. on Tuesday, May the 14th. My colleague, Mark Joseph Stern, and I will be talking to some amazing guests, including Sherilyn Eiffel and a sitting state Supreme Court justice all about how originalism, a relatively recently invented way of interpreting the Constitution, has taken over the Supreme Court and radically reshaped the law. It's been doctrinal rocket fuel for the conservative legal movement and facilitated the rolling back of abortion rights, the expansion of gun rights, and the obliteration of the separation of church and state. And as another wildly consequential Supreme Court term careers to its end, the court's originalists are on a tear. But there's something you can do about it. And we hope you'll join us in D.C. on May 14th to explore the possible pathways out of the current situation. Go to slate.com slash amicus live for tickets. The Reichsburger had their first brush with international fame back in 2020. That's when they led a 40,000-person rally at Germany's parliament building. Far-right extremists pushed through police lines to the top of the Reichstag steps. The crowd was way larger than the group's actual membership because the protest was organized in opposition to Germany's COVID containment measures, including a strict lockdown. Widerstand, they shout, resistance. And, wir sind das Volk, we are the people. This angry group was incredibly diverse. The New York Times described the crowd as fans of everyone from Hare Krishna to Hitler. But all of these people were organized against the establishment. The black, white and red are the colors of the old imperial German Reich, used now by neo-Nazis. 
In front of the rice tag, it makes for shocking symbolism. Josh Keating says it was not just Nazi flags being waved at this rally. If you look at the footage, you'll see signs emblazoned with the letter Q, as in QAnon, the American far-right movement that claims a secret celebrity pedophile ring controls the government, and only Donald Trump can stop it. To see, like, Q signs you know, being waved in the streets of a European capital at, at a rally like this was, was just kind of wild to me. And Donald Trump signs too, right? Well, there was actually a speech given at the rally where somebody said that, you know, Donald Trump was en route to um, to overthrow the German government. And and what you what you have to keep in mind is like Donald Trump is deeply unpopular in Europe. I mean, he's maybe less than 50 percent popular here, but like in Europe, he's very unpopular. Um, And so that that kind of gives you an idea of like there is this movement, but but this is like a uh, a very far outside the mainstream of European politics to paint like Trump as as a uh, savior figure. I want to ask you to kind of be a detective with me a little bit and just like roll the clock back and explain exactly how QAnon became braided together with the Reichsberger movement and Germany's far right, as well as the far right just in Europe generally. Back in 2020, when you were first writing about all this, tell me about what you were writing about. Yeah. So, I mean, QAnon websites and social media groups have sort of been proliferating on European social media since 2018, which is kind of around the time QAnon appeared in uh, the U.S. as well, you know, I I think that you the thing that is unique about QAnon is you know one specialist I talked to said it's a it's a kind of like parasite um, uh, conspiracy theory. It's it's very good at kind of latching on to other concerns. So uh, in Germany, it sort of um, melded with sort of existing far right movements that were, you know, mostly focused on things like immigration, on the influence of Islam in Europe. And then there have been kind of a number of incidents that sort of brought attention to it. One was in October 2021, there was this case in France where, you know, QAnon uh, a, a mother who was a QAnon supporter, uh, the, the authorities had sort of taken her daughter away from her because of various issues and placed her with her grandparents and um, the mother with with the sort of assistance of, you know, fellow QAnon believers online basically organized the kidnapping of her away from her grandparents. And this this was believed to be the first kind of crime linked directly to QAnon in Europe. Um, but, you know, the, there's also a number of cases where they don't actually say QAnon, but you kind of see the DNA of it in there. What do you mean? Yeah. So in, in 2020, there was a um, a, a really a horrible incident. A, a This far-right extremist in the city of Hanau, Germany, uh, carried out a shooting spree at two hookah bars uh, that are for frequent, frequented by, you know, Turkish and Kurdish immigrants. And you know, they went back and looked at, you know, this stuff he'd been posting online. And some of it's what you would expect. It's a lot of, you know, sort of great replacement style anti-Islam, anti-immigrant rhetoric. But there was also a lot of even stranger stuff. There was, um, he, he subscribed to this idea that there's a series of 
underground military bases in the U.S. where the U.S. military uh, is, uh, you know, abusing children. Uh, so this is, you know, right out of the QAnon Pizzagate uh, playbook. Yeah, the pedophilia seems to be like a, a strand that's connecting things and protecting children. Right. There's this idea of protecting children. There's um, usually it's sort of ties this idea that there's an elite group of political and uh, media figures and business figures who are involved in in child trafficking and the sexual abuse of children. And, uh, you know, that these people are also, um, you know, involved in the Great Replacement in, in bringing immigrants and uh, uh, Muslims and non-white people into the West to, uh, to sort of destroy Christian civilization. And, you know, a lot of this sort of ties in with much older anti-Semitic conspiracy theories. And, you know, that this stuff, it, it, it's not really, you know, one theory. It, it's, it's sort of once you start down these rabbit holes, these things tie together and they're very good at sort of latching on to each other and reinforcing each other. It seems from your reporting that France and Germany have been especially vulnerable to the QAnonification of fringe right-wing beliefs. Why do you think that is? In Germany, it's hard to say. I mean, there is a sort of long-standing far-right movement in Germany, of course, but, it, you know, you also have to wonder if because of German Germany's history, if the authorities are just sort of particularly sensitive to this stuff and, and they crack down on it harder than other countries. So I, I'm not actually sure if there are more of these people in Germany than in other places in Europe, or if it's just the authorities uh, take it much more seriously there. After the break... The Reichsburgers stockpiled weapons, euros, gold, and silver. They had a pretty elaborate plan, too. But could their coup have actually worked? One of the targets German police raided last week was a hunting lodge three hours south of Berlin, whose basement was reportedly full of weapons and explosives. It served as a home of Prince Heinrich XIII, the man who the Reichsburger hoped to install as their leader. Heinrich was arrested too. Yeah, so, I mean, the, they they did apparently already have a kind of shadow government they'd set up with uh, Prince Heinrich at the head of it. And they, they did have weapons, They had, uh, and some of them had some military training. And the idea was they were going to storm the Bundestag, uh, overthrow the government, and uh, set up a new state. And uh, according to what German prosecutor statements, they had at least attempted to contact the Russian government. And there was one Russian citizen also arrested as part of this plot. So, you know, they may have been trying to seek some international help. The Kremlin has denied any involvement in this. And I should say it isn't actually clear that uh, they got any response from, from Moscow from this idea. Could they actually have done this? No, no, they would not have pulled this off. I mean, I think they could have put it in motion. It's possible, but I, I don't think they're in any kind of position to, um, you know, I, I should qualify what I'm saying a little bit. I mean, I, I've talked about how there were politicians involved in this and, and you know, members of the military, but there's not a kind of deep state. They, they don't have the kind of links you need 
uh, or sort of infrastructure within the German power structure that one needs to actually pull off a coup. Like, I, I don't think they would have even gotten as far as, as the uh, January 6 rioters did. But they had plans, right? Like, January 6 seemed less organized to me when I look at the reporting of the plans in Germany. Like, to see that there were plans to sabotage the electricity network and, you know, use sat phones to communicate. I'm like, okay, there was something undergirding all this. Even if, in the end, as you said, this is a fringe group, very small. Like, how detailed were those plans? Yeah, they were pretty detailed. I mean, I, I mean, you know, as, as you said, they, they, they had thought through what they planned to do. I mean, whether they could have actually pulled it off, um, I don't think that's, I, I think it's pretty unlikely. When I heard about these raids in Germany, I just thought like, the United States isn't doing anything like that. But I'm not sure that the landscape is all that different here, especially because as we've been saying, these extremists in Germany were tied to QAnon, which is something that started in the United States. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I mean, I think you could look at it, maybe a comparable U.S. event would have been the plot to kidnap and probably kill Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer a few years ago, which, if I'm recalling correctly, that was broken up by an FBI sting operation pretty early on. I report on national security issues, and I've definitely noticed like a lot of the people I used to talk to about jihadist terrorism are now kind of like, um, uh, talking increasingly, there, there are a lot of their focus is shifting to far right movements. So I think that's where a lot of the um, media attention, the the attention of the sort of counter terrorist analyst community, is shifting. It is funny that like we've had this sort of concern in the U.S. Uh, for decades about radicalization from abroad in the context of Islamist terrorism. And, and, and this is kind of a like reverse version of that, where there's this sort of online ecosystem of conspiracy theorists that, um, you know, people in other countries are picking up on. You said that a lot of the people you talk to in the national security space seem to be shifting their focus to right-wing extremism, extremism that looks like what we just saw broken up in Germany. And I'm wondering what they tell you about how this kind of extremism is evolving at the moment. Like, I heard one former Department of Homeland Security official describe extremism in this moment as salad bar extremism. Like, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you can take a little bit of QAnon, you can take a little bit of anti-Semitism, and you can just wrap it together into your own personal extremist ideology and find buddies online who will connect with you on at least one of those vectors. What else are folks telling you? Yeah, and I think that makes it in some ways harder to tackle. Another thing that makes it harder to tackle, I'd say, is that there's not really a center to it. I mean, in... Jihadism is a diffuse movement with a lot of sort of self-motivated people as well as well, but there is there is a kind of you know, there there is an Al-Qaeda center, there is an ISIS in Syria. So, you know, when the US military or, you know, uh, law enforcement, when it either sort of kills or arrests those leaders of those movements, it has an effect on the movie. It doesn't end it, but it, it has an effect. You know, there's no leader of QAnon. There's, there's not somebody you can arrest and that stops the movement. It, it's sort of much more diffuse. Um, 
and uh, self-organizing and decentralized. And I think that that poses a kind of unique challenge because there's not really there's not really something to target which will you know massively degrade the movement. You've got you know all these things happening on uh, on online platforms. Uh, you, you know it, it sort of incorporates bits of different movements. It has these overlapping links with with other groups and. Um, you know, there's there's not really a a center to it that uh, that you could target. It sounds like what you're saying is rooting out this extremism is about to get a lot harder. Yeah, I mean, I I think what the last few years have proved is how adaptable this stuff is. How you know the the same groups that are sort of raising alarm about the great replacement and immigration, they can shift pivot very quickly to COVID lockdowns, and the same conspiracy theories can incorporate them. So, you know, down the line, you can imagine two or three years from now, there'll be some new event in the news that they'll shift to. And, you know, another thing, like, if you look at the past research on like apocalyptic movements, or sort of UFO cults, or people who um, sort of anticipate a, um, you know, event that comes uh, down the line, and then that event doesn't happen, they say the world's going to end on Thursday, and then the world doesn't end. That tends not to end those movements. Like, it, if anything, it, it's a sort of means of quality control for them. Like, the people who stick around are the people who are really hardcore and believe it. So, you know, the idea that, you know, Donald Trump did not lead a resistance and take down the satanic child abusing cabal uh, and, you know, did leave power in 2020, that didn't stop this stuff. Uh, it, it just sort of adapted and moved to a new phase. Clearly, this uh, plot in Germany shows it can still be dangerous. There have been, you know, I think 22 incidents in the U.S., violent incidents linked to QAnon already. So, you know, clearly this stuff is dangerous and, and it's not fading just because uh, Donald Trump's not in office anymore. Josh Keating, I'm super grateful for your time. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me. Josh Keating is a global security reporter at GRID. And that's our show. If you're a fan of What Next, the best way to show your support is to join our membership program, Slate Plus. Get lots of great benefits, like all access to Slate.com, and ad-free podcasts like this one. The way to do it is to go to Slate.com slash WhatNextPlus and sign up. What Next is produced by Elena Schwartz, Carmel Delshad, and Madeline Ducharme. We are getting a ton of support right now from Anna Phillips, Jared Downing, and Victoria Dominguez. We are led by Alicia Montgomery and Joanne Levine. And I'm Mary Harris. I'm going to pass things off to Lizzie O'Leary and the What Next TBD crew for now. And I'll be back in your feed next week. Catch you then.